I don't want you to fall into the rut as well of just being so screen dependent. The screen is really here, and those of you watching online, we put the verses there uh, because there's times where the sermon moves at a pretty rapid pace, and it's hard for you to turn to all of those scriptures, and so at least you can, um, uh, you can have those available on the screen, but it's definitely not a replacement for us uh, actually putting our own eyes onto God's Word uh, together uh, as we uh, join to, uh, to preach this morning. Because this is not a spectator sport, this is definitely a participating uh, sport that is uh, preaching. So hopefully by now you found your way to Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at verse 12 and verse 12 alone this morning. So let me read the text, and then we will uh, do a little groundwork, and then we'll actually get into uh, verse 12 together. Verse 12 says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Okay? Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. So Romans chapter 12, let's, let's, let's kind of backtrack for a moment all the way back to August when we first got into this book. We took a little break there at, um, it, during the Christmas season to uh, do some Christmas preaching, but Romans chapter 12 is a, uh, it's a, it's a shift in the book of Romans. Remember, Romans is a book that's basically built on five therefores. And remember, a therefore is uh, reminding us that what's about to be said is being built on or is, 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 is to be acted upon because of what has previously been said. And so basically what's happened for 11 chapters, Paul has been laying out for us nothing but pure doctrine. All he's, all he's been teaching us is what Christ has done for us. He, he's teaching us the, the very essence of what it means to be a Christian, how, how a person becomes a Christian. And now what he's doing as he hits chapter 12, he begins chapter 12 in verse 1 with that word, therefore. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... Uh, using that term denoting that he is talking to Christians to, um, uh, by the mercies of God, to offer their bodies as a living sacrifice. So what Paul is saying is, I've spent 11 chapters showing you the mercies of God. And now that I have shown you clearly the mercies of God, because of those mercies, the only reasonable response to the mercies of God is for you to live as a living sacrifice. And then he goes on in verse 2 to say that that's what that looks like. That that's by not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds. And then in verse 3 uh, down to verse 8, he begins to talk about spiritual gifts, that every Christian, every person that has experienced the mercies of God has been given... Um, has been given spiritual gifts in order that they may uh, uh, serve not only the Lord, but they may serve others. 
And then as he gets down into verse 9, he, he gets down into kind of the, the, the street level aspects of Christianity where Christianity really begins to put some shoe leather on it. This is, this is ground level, ground zero type Christianity, what it looks like to be lived out in everyday life. And so we, we looked at that for uh, back in verse 9. We've been slowly working our way through those different aspects in which Christianity manifests itself uh, in, our, in our daily life. And so today we, we come all the way uh, to verse 12. And, and again, remember, all of this is done as a means of demonstration to the world of what Christianity really looks like. And, and, and that was the, the, that's the title of the entire series of Romans chapter 12 through 16, is demonstrate. There, as we said, there's a lot of demonstrating going on in our world today. There was the demonstrating back in the spring with uh, Black Lives Matters and, and other groups. And then most recently, there's the demonstrations that took place at the Capitol that turned into whatever, whatever you want to call that, that it turned into. Uh, chaos, anarchy, revolt, whatever, what, whatever term you want to put on that. But we've seen all kinds of demonstrations in our world uh, in, in recent days. And, and yet, as I said all the way back at, when we began this, the Bible has given us clear teaching on the kind of life that we are to demonstrate as a Christian in this world. And so today it just further builds on that. I, wanna, I, want, I want you to hold in, in your mind back at, at, uh, what it says back in verse 2. Not to be conformed to the pattern of this world. Okay, Again, what we are being uh, taught, or what we are being commanded to live out here, beginning in verse 9, this is what it looks like not to be conformed to the pattern of the world. So when, when you read, starting in verse 9, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, uh, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. All of that is what it looks like to not be conformed to the pattern of this world. And so this morning's text, if, you, if, if, we, if we were Greek, people, Greek scholars, which none of us are, and we could read the original language, which none of us can, we would, we would see something very interesting about verse 12. Is that verse 12 could simply uh, be directly... I mean, like if you're just going to translate it word for word, okay, into English, it would really read this way. Hope rejoicing... Tribulation enduring, prayer devoted. Six words. Hope rejoicing, tribulation enduring, prayer devoted. And that's, that's the three points of the sermon this morning. It's going to be real simple. So let's talk about hope rejoicing. What does he mean when he says hope rejoicing? Well, let's first define what hope is. And that's... Listen, what we're, th this morning is going to be 
a lot of, let's make sure we, got, we know what that word means, right? It's important to know what a word means. So what does hope mean? What does this word hope mean? Because I know what it means to most of us. It means maybe. I hope to have a good meal today after church. Right? I, I hope uh, our kids make it back from Gatlinburg safe. I hope they're having a good time. That's all maybes, right? It's not, we don't have any, con, we don't have uh, absolute confidence in that, but we hope that that is happening. But hope in the Bible is totally different. Hope is a fixed good that God will, that God will do to us in the future. It's a fixed good, G-O-O-D, that God, that God will do to us in the future. Every time you read hope in the Bible, don't think hope. Think certainty. Think assurance. Okay? Such hope is the Christian sure foundation of present joy. How can we have joy in the present? Because we have a fixed assurance of something that is going to happen in the future, called hope. This present joy is independent of current circumstances. Why? Because it's a supernatural joy. And it's a joy that can overcome a familiar term that Paul uses, this present evil world. This present evil world. You see, we as Christians, we have really mucked up this excellent teaching of Scripture with our sinful love of this world. Christian bookstores, uh, Christian television provide overwhelming proof of this desire. Preachers and publishers indoctrinating their listeners and readers into what I call a cult of cheerfulness. A cult of cheerfulness. The best-selling authors, the most-watched uh, television, Christian television shows, are those who peddle this cheerfulness, this uh, uh, heaven-on-earth kind of Christian mentality that, you know, if we Christians will only live better and do better and do more, the world will become a better place. Does anybody in here need to be reminded that the world will never be a better place as the world stands right now? D does everybody realize we are on a cataclysmic collision course with the worst the world has ever seen? This world is not getting better. It will not be better. It will not do better. But we have bought into this as Christians. And Paul does not tell us to put on a smiling face. That, that would just be carnal rejoicing. Just going, you know, walking around grinning, act, acting like everything's okay. Furthermore, he's not, he's not telling us to cultivate a hopeful outlook. Again, like I was saying, like, oh, this world is going to get better. If we just get out and do more missions, if we get out and feed more people, if we get out and clean 
clothe more homeless people, if we get out and do this and we get out and do that, we can make this world a better place. He wants us to be sober-minded about this present evil world. He doesn't want you to be nonchalant like Winnie the Pooh. Y'all, y'all, everybody's right. Can y'all remember Winnie? Winnie's just, he's just nonchalant about life in general. But he doesn't want you to be overly optimistic like Tigger. Or, even worse, he doesn't want you to be fatalistic like Eeyore. He really wants us to be like Owl in Winnie the Pooh. Wise and balanced. Scripture teaches us that we live in a fallen world. Paul calls it this present evil world. Christians have drunk deeply from a liberal theology that caused them to engage in earthly renewal, not heavenly redemption. Now, stay with me right here. This is important. Listen, Christians should engage in, in, work, in, in a work or in the work that fights against inequities, injustice, and all the effects of evil in this world. Don't hear me say that we should not be involved in that. Our Bible is replete with commands of such involvement. However, these gospel works are not a means of earthly renewal. I'm going to say that again. We do not do these works to make the world a better place. They are means of validating our message of redemption. Do you see the difference there? If you come at it, listen, if, if, if we do what we do in the world, okay? You know, we, we're tied in down in Haiti and, and helping children uh, in that impoverished country, about 2,000 children get an education. We've been involved in, in the building of a hospital there so that people could get uh, um, the medical needs that, uh, met that they have there. Uh, look, we could go on and on with a list of humanitarian works that we've been involved in underneath the heading of Christianity. But listen, we are not doing that to make that a better place. Why? Because Jesus said, the poor you'll always have with you. We'll never stamp out poverty. Anybody that tries to tell you that, I mean, just they have no idea what they're talking about. Why? Because we live in an evil world. And poverty exists, right? Because evil exists. And as long as evil exists, poverty will exist. Sickness will, disease, uh, will, will exist. We'll never, we can never undo the evilness of this world. So we're not about earthly renewal. But So what are, what are these works, these humanitarian works that are being done under the umbrella of Christianity? What are they all about? They are all about validating our message of redemption. Did Jesus not do these kind of works? Well, was Jesus trying to renew the earth? No, he's going to do that later on, right? I think he's pretty clear that I didn't come to set up a kingdom now. I, I, that's later. But here's what I'm showing you. My works are showing you a glimpse of what one day is to come in permanence. When Jesus does a miracle... All he is doing is saying, look, 
The, way, the world in which you live in, is that this is not what I intended. When he brings about healing, he's just showing us that one day this is what the world is going to be. This is what the world is going to look like. I am going to do the miracle of all miracles, and I'm going to renew this earth, and all of my people will be here with me, and they will be free of poverty, sickness, injustice, inequalities, and all the other uh, ails that ail us today. Are y'all tracking with me on that? Does that make sense in why we do what we do? But if we're not if we're not careful, it gets shoved into this category over here of of almost like you know we're the Christian home improvement, right? Like we need to have our own DIY channel. This is how to make your community better. No, we're not. Look, if the community gets somewhat better because of that, that's great. But listen to me, the reality of it is it's not. It's not. That's but that's not our that's not our job. What we need to do, we're coming in with a message and our works validate our message. This world will experience a future renewal at the hands of Christ, not Christians. We, we just don't have what it takes to bring that about. And I think a lot of Christians are frustrated in their works inside of communities because they don't see their communities getting better. And the reason is, is because we put way too much, we, we, we've, we've drunk too much of the Kool-Aid that says if, we'll, if we Christians can just get in here, guess what we can do? We can make this world a better place. I think it just shows we can, if we get in, we can just screw it up worse. You know, supposedly, Christianity gets attached to the Republican Party. And if that's the case, that's proof positive that we screw it up. We just make it a big disaster. Get rid of community renewal. Get, 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 get rid of re the idea of renovation. Understand you live in an evil world. Yes, you are called to meet the needs of people. We are called to do everything that we have been doing, but not in the sense of renewal, but in the sense of redemption. You can make somebody's community better, and they'll still go to hell. What we're there for is, yes, we're there to, to bring light into a community but that light is not of an earthly light but it's a light of an eternal light our message is not social reform but soul redemption we're here to proclaim hope a fixed assurance of a new earth to come one free of every evil intrusion that has infused itself into our present world that's our that's our message of hope listen We've got a message that says, look, there is a hope to come that one day that God is going to remove evil and all presence of evil from this world, and he's going to renew this earth, and we're going to live with him on this earth forever. That's our hope. And when we live in that hope, guess what follows? Rejoicing, joy. True Christianity does not peddle a shallow earthly hope. We proclaim a substantive heavenly hope, a hope that produces 
rejoicing in every circumstance because it's rooted in a fixed assurance. Why do you think the hymn is so beloved? Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. That's hope. A blessed assurance. Who in here or who watching online cannot rejoice this morning? Have you become so earthly-minded that you have no heavenly hope? Have you, built your, have you built your hope on nothing less than this world and its promises? If so, you have no grounds of joy. And this morning, if you are joyful because everything in your life is going right, wait, because there will soon come a day and there's going to soon come some events into your life that are going to totally rob and take your joy from you because they are rooted in this world. The only kind of joy that lasts is a joy that's rooted in a hope that is fixed. I'm sure there's people either in here or people that are watching that sit among the ashes of their hopes, but owe to realize that nothing in this world is strong enough to bear up hopes. Crushing weight is a grace of God. To realize that nothing in this world is strong enough to bear up hope's crushing weight is a grace of God. Some of us, maybe if not all of us, have listened far too long to the deceitfulness of our hearts. Instead of guiding our hearts and guarding our hearts, we have let our heart, we have let our guard down and we have let our hearts guide us in what we believe and how we think. And for that, many of us have lost our hope. Many of us have, have fallen prey to despair. Many of us uh, uh, have a a bleak and depressive view of this world. Some of us have put our hopes in relationships and marriages. Some of us have put our hopes in jobs and money. Some of us have put our hopes in other relationships. Some of us have put our hopes in a myriad of different uh, uh, places. And yet what we find over and over again, if given any time, that everything, every Every avenue that we have gone down with our hope has proven to lead us hopeless in the end. We need a hope that is certain. We need a hope that is fixed. We need a hope that cannot be moved. On Christ the solid rock we stand. All other hopes are sinking sand.
we simply need to, in light of hope, rejoicing, we need to obey the words of Jesus in Matthew 16, 23, and the words of Paul in Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Look at what Paul says. If you have been raised with Christ, watch what he says, seek the things that are above. Why does he want you to seek the things that are above? That's where your hope is. That's where your hope is. How many of you got your hope down here below? How's that working for you? Hmm? Most of what I see is not working too well for people. How many of you watch the news and you get depressed because you think, man, this is a hopeless world we live in? But I guarantee you, if you'll look and seek those things that are above, it doesn't matter what's happening in this world. Because what you will see and what you will find above is fixed, assured, certain, and therefore a great reason for hope and rejoicing. Verse 2 says, Set your mind on things that are above and not things on earth. That's a good memory verse. Colossians 3, 2. Set your mind on things above. Quit listening to the... the, the to ignorance that says, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Only heavenly minded people are earthly good. Psalm 119, 36 through 37. Just write that down and just write pray beside it. <laughs> this, this needs to be the, the verse. So the, the question is, okay, well, how do I, I kind of get myself turned around and get myself out of this funk and get myself towards uh, thinking on things above and not things on earth? How do, how, do I, how, how, do I, how do I fix my problem? Well, I think Psalm 119, 36 and 37 is the best two verses that you could pray in asking God to help you in, your, in our situation. Incline my heart to your testimonies. What's his testimonies? What we know to be true about God in his word. All the, his word is nothing but one testimony after another, right? Of who he is. Incline my heart to your testimony and not to selfish gain. Watch this. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. That is a prayer for Colossians 3, 2. Psalm 119, 36 and 37. Okay? Now, second, second part of the text. Tribulations enduring. So hope rejoicing, tribulations enduring. What's interesting is these three, uh, hope, tribulation, prayer, do you know that th there's three, two other times in the book of Romans that Paul puts these three uh, words together and writes about them? We're, not going to, we're only going to look at one briefly, and that's in Romans 5. He writes more extensively about uh, all three of these. But in this particular passage, he, uh, Romans 5, 1 through 5, he's going to write pretty extensive about tribulation, okay? About tribulation. 
Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, there's that therefore again, right? Because we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Watch this. And we rejoice in what? Hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our, watch, sufferings. The word for affliction, sufferings, tribulations, they're all pretty much the same. They're just, you can just swap those, those words out interchangeably. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who, is, who has been given to us. So let's talk about two words. Tribulation, enduring. Tribulation, enduring. So the word tribulation means something that you put pressure on. Does anybody in here happen to know what a tribulum is? Anybody know what a tribulum is? A tribulum is used in crushing the flower out of corn. That's what a tribulum is. Everybody in here like cornbread? Cornbread's good, right? Especially if it's got a little jalapeno pepper in it, maybe a little cheese and some corn. You know, all that kind of stuff just makes it even better. Every time you eat cornbread, you, you should think about tribulation. Because the corn had to go through the tribulum to produce the flour that's needed to make this very tasty dish that we enjoy in the South called cornbread. So tribulation means a crushing. It means to put pressure on something. Trials and tribulations come in various ways. They may happen due to circumstances over which we have no control or through temptations and persecutions. In all their forms, tribulations bring pressure to bear upon your spirit, your mind, and your heart. No one knew more about tribulations than Paul. He gives pictures of the kinds of sufferings he endured in many places. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23, he says this, Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater... Now watch. He gets, in, he gets into all these tribulations, labors, far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hand of the Jews 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea of frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, Dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers from false brothers. Good gracious, he couldn't go anywhere without danger. In toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. 
Anybody want to get into a competition with Paul on tribulations? Anybody want to write their own letter and send to Paul saying, that's a pretty good letter you wrote, but I can one-up you on the tribulations. Check out my list. How are we to react is the question to tribulations. How are we to act to tribulations? We are not to be shaken or to give way under tribulations. We are not to be shaken or given way or give way under tribulations. We must not grumble. We must not complain. We must not feel that things are unfair. In summary, we must never allow tribulation to do us any harm at all. Mm. We must not allow tribulation to do us any harm at all. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. How do you keep from tribulation doing any harm to you at all? Now, you, you need to understand what I mean by doing harm to you. Because if you read Paul's list, a lot of harm done to him, right? But what I'm talking about is doing harm to you in the fact that you cease to endure. Because this is the second word you got to understand this morning. Tribulations, enduring. Does your Bible say patience? Mine does. The ESV says patience. Not a good word, but not the best word, right? It's really not a positive word. What if I told you that this word is a very positive word and it is a very proactive word? How many of y'all, when you think patience, you think don't do anything, just wait? That's not what patience here means. It is a proactive word. It, it means to do. It means to confront head on. It is a bold word. It is a positive word. It doesn't sit down and accept things. It is not some Disney-fied idea that gives us wings to fly over our difficulties. It's a determination unhur uh, without hurry and undelaying, which goes steadily on and refuses deflection. How about that? That's a positive word. That's a word with some action. That's, some, that's a word with some gusto, some get-up in it. Obstacles do not daunt it, and discouragement, discouragements do not take away its hope. It is steadfast endurance that carries us to the end. That's what he means when he says, tribulations enduring. We don't let tribulations do us harm. And here's how we don't. Give you a couple. A couple of ways not to let tribulations do you harm. Because here's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to do harm to tribulations. Let me, let me paint this picture for you. Here's the first way that you don't let it do you harm. Is that you expect tribulations. How many of us get harmed by tribulations? Not physically, I'm talking about spiritually harmed by tribulations because in our Americanized Christianity, we believe 
truly in our heart that we don't deserve the tribulations that we're going through. Or maybe we don't deserve it, but we just, we, we, we just don't expect that we should have to endure anything difficult, any tribulation. Peter says in 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not be surprised by the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange is happening to you. You need to expect tribulations. That's how tribulations won't do you harm, is that you get up every day expecting that tribulation could come. Or Jesus said in John 13, 16, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the, than the one who sent him. So Jesus says, if I endure tribulation, how in the world do you not think you're going to endure tribulation? Or 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be tribulized, persecuted, afflicted. How do you avoid such a life? Don't live godly. Go to hell. That's how you do it. Somebody might be watching and say, You know what? I don't really go through much tribulation or persecution or affliction. Well, you might be going to hell. I'm not saying because you're going through it, you're a Christian. But the Bible could make a strong case for those who don't go through it. Might not go through it because they're on their way to hell. We don't allow tribulation to harm us when we realize what is happening to us. Watch, happened to the Lord Jesus himself. How about Hebrews 12, 1 through 3? Therefore, since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, talked about in Hebrews chapter 11, let us lay aside every weight and sin which, so cling, which, clings, and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with the endurance, the race set before us. Guess what? There's that word again. Same word translated patience in, in our text today. Endurance, translated here, endurance. Now watch verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, there's our word again, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now watch verse 3. Consider him, Jesus, who, there's our word again, endured from sinners such hostility against him, so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. You know what he's saying? Consider him who endured from sinners all that he went through. Why? So that you might endure. I'll say it on the positive side. So that you might endure. He says it in the negative sense, so that you may not grow faint, weary and faint-hearted. So how are we going to endure tribulation? We do it because we look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who endured Exactly what we, who endured more than we would ever endure. And if he can endure that, then the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the same spirit that enabled Christ to overcome uh, uh, this world, is the same spirit that now dwells in you and I. So if we consider him who endured all these, all these events and persecutions and afflictions, If we will consider him, we will not grow faint-hearted. 
we will endure. Jesus, by the way, has prepared us for tribulation because he said in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Let us take his words to heart and work it out like this. To endure these events means that we are indeed following in his steps. I'm going to give you this sentence. Might, might be the most helpful sentence I give you today. And it's this. When you and I go through tribulation and affliction and distress, whatever word you want to use, when you go through that, Guess what? God is treating you as a son or a daughter. How do you keep from tribulation overcoming you? How do you endure in tribulation? Is that you just keep reminding yourself, you know what? My father is treating me as one of his children. My father is treating me just as he treated his own son. When we do that, tribulation doesn't harm us. We actually turn tribulation on its head. We don't allow tribulation to harm us when we realize that this is the true path. All I'm going to say this, read Hebrews chapter 11. It is a chapter full of named and unnamed people who went down this path of tribulation and whom the, the end of, uh, of Hebrews 11 says the world was not worthy of such people. Paul knows from experience that tribulations are, cert, are, are a certainty for believers, so he urges them to persevere. For example, Luke, describing Paul's ministries, travels to Lystrum and Iconium and Antioch, writes that Paul and Barnabas were, look at this, Acts 14.22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Well, it seems like heaven has a lot to do with tribulations down on earth. <laughs> Almost seems like you can't even get into heaven without tribulations. We don't allow tribulation to harm us when we realize that tribulation is our teacher. Let me take you to Romans 5 one more time. Romans 5, 3 through 4. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that what? Suffering does something. What's it produce? Oh, there's our word again. Endurance. He who endures to the end will be saved. Suffering produces endurance. Suffering, undoubtedly, is part of God's sanctification plan that carries you on and keeps you and gets you into heaven. He goes on, and endurance produces character, and, can, and character produces what? What does it produce? What can tribulation teach you? It can teach you to be more sympathetic. 
2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our, what's the word? Affliction? Tribulation? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comforted with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's Oh, oh there it is again. Sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you... Anybody want to know, there's that word patiently that we've just been talking about. When you... <laughs> Watch this. This is, really, this is really the way it would be translated. When you endure, enduring the same suffering that we suffer. That word patiently and endure is the same word twice. When you endure, enduring the same suffering that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Sufferings make us more sympathetic. Tribulations do. And then lastly, tribulations teach us concerning our sin. You, wanna, you really want to get a p good picture of how far you've come in salvation and sanctification? <laughs> let, let trouble rear its uh, ugly head, right? Huh? How do you react when God puts you in the tribulum? Hmm? How's that feel? What comes out of you when God shakes your world up? There's a side of us we don't like to talk about, right? Remember Job? His latter end was more than his beginning. Now, watch how Job started. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Uh, hello? Heaven to earth. I don't believe any of us are quite the quality individual that Job was. And yet, if we had time to read the next 42 chapters of this book, you and I would realize that God put this man through literal hell on earth to do what? To make his ending greater than his beginning. God is out to teach us something. He is doing something. He's trying to produce, Paul said, character. And character is a Greek word that was used to describe the uh, process that metal endured to purge it of its purity. We use this same word today. Any of you ever heard the word sterling? Sterling silver? Anybody, have you ever heard? It? I haven't heard it in a while, but that man, that person has a sterling character. That word sterling is the idea here. It is one that has been purified. When tribulation tangles with endurance, 
a man or woman emerges stronger, purer, and better, and most of all, nearer to God. Y'all remember the old hymn, Nearer, Blessed Lord? Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord. To that blessed, bleeding side. Draw me near, draw me near, near, O blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. He does that through tribulation, enduring. I want to end this section. Then the last point is going to be real simple. I'm not going to talk much about prayer because I don't know what else I can say more about prayer that y'all don't already know. Like get to praying, right? You scallywags. Psalm 119, 65 through 67, and then verse 71. Watch. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Right? Feels, that's good, right? Everybody can, that's good. We want the Lord to deal well with us, right? Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commands. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I, kept, but now I keep your word. Now watch verse 71. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Psalm 119, 65 through 67, and verse 71. It is good for me that I was afflicted. Hey, you want to turn tribulation on its head? When tribulation comes, just say to yourself, it is good for me that I am in tribulation because I'm going to learn. Remember what Job said at the end of his life? Remember I told you his latter was better than his former? When he got to the end of his life, he said, Lord, I'd only heard of you, but now I know you. Let's close. Prayer devoted. So hope. We got hope rejoicing. Tribulation enduring. And I love that. We started with hope, rejoicing. We got tribulation enduring in the middle, the tough part. And then we got, we, we got it booked in with prayer devoted. This word devoted just simply means constant. I love the illustration. You hunters will love this illustration. It is the illustration of a hound that will not give up until it finds its game. Got that? A hound, a dog, that will not give up until it's found its game. That's what it means to be devoted. Paul told the Thessalonians to what? Pray without what? Ceasing. You say, I can't do that. Well, it doesn't mean ceasing in the sense that you, that, that, uh, that you and I think is ceasing. It can also be pray constantly. It's the idea of the word ceasing, the word without ceasing there, literally is the idea of a cough. Any of y'all had a cough that was just constant and wouldn't go away? That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about not ever quit praying. What he's talking about is remaining in a constant state of prayer, such as a cough, 
often stays with you. What do we call it? A nagging cough? Do y'all know the Bible tells a story about a nagging old woman? Jesus starts teaching about prayer, and he said, well, let me just tell you about prayer. Prayer's like a nagging woman. A nagging cough. It's constant. It keeps on keeping on until it's complete. The idea is constancy. Jesus told the, uh, uh, the disciples in Luke 18, 1, this is the reason why you pray. I bet you never... I don't know if... I know until I come across this, I, it, this had, I, part of prayer I never understood. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray. Why? So that they won't lose heart. So what's prayer all about? Well, it seems like according to Jesus, we pray because if we don't, we, we're not going to get anything, right? You have not because you ask not according to James. But prayer is God's means to keep us enduring, to keep us from losing heart. Guess what? If you lose heart, you can't endure, right? So let me close with my man, John Piper. For me, reading his writings on prayer totally changed. I hated prayer, didn't want to pray. This is honest confession from somebody who's, I mean, you think about it, you're a preacher, like, I mean, like, that's what you do, right? Pray. Or at least everybody thinks that's what you do, pray, because I can't go anywhere if we're going to bless a meal or something. It's like, hey, preacher's here, y'all, you want, you want to pray, bless the food? Like, I'm the only one in the room that can do that. I hate it. I, like, when it comes time for the bless the food, I start hiding out. Just watch me. If you're ever around, I'll start hiding out, because I know what's coming. Find the preacher, he'll bless the food. But about, you know, 20 years ago, I read this book by John Piper, and I'm like, okay, prayer is a totally different monster now that's awesome. And so I'm just going to end with some direct quotes from him. Prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie, not a domestic intercom. Prayer is the walkie-talkie on the battlefield of the world. It calls on God for courage, Ephesians 6.19. It calls for troop deployment and target locations, Acts 13.1-3. It calls for protection and coverage, Matthew 6.13 and Luke 21.36. It calls in firepower to blast open a way for the word, Colossians 4.3. It calls... In for the miracle of healing for the wounded soldiers, James 5.16. It calls in for supplies for forces, Matthew 6.11, Ephesians, I mean, Philippians 4.6. And it calls in for needed reinforcements, Matthew 9.38. This is the place of prayer on the battlefield of the world. It is a wartime walkie-talkie for spiritual warfare, not a domestic intercom to increase the comforts of the saints. And one of the reasons... It malfunctions in the hands of so many 
Christian soldiers is that they have gone AWOL. D.L. Moody, years ago, went to Scotland where he asked a local grade school class this question. Okay? He asked this question, what is prayer? What is prayer? To his amazement, hundreds of children raised their hands in the air. So he decided to call on this one little young guy near the front, and he promptly stood up, and this is what he said. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God. In the, in the name of Christ, by the help of His Spirit, with confession of our sins, and thankful, thankful acknowledgement of His mercies, end quote. Hey, how about that? Y'all are like, how did he know that? How did, how did they know to say that? Because they were taught what is called the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which was a series of 150 questions that they were had to memorize the question and the answer. And that was question 78 in the catechism. What is prayer? Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God in the name of Christ, by the help of the Spirit, with the confession of our sins, and thankful acknowledgement of His mercies. To, Mo to which Moody responded, saying, Young man, be thankful you were born in Scotland. So I close this morning by saying to you, this morning, be thankful that you were born in a country and live in a country with an endless supply of Bibles. A Bible, a Bible with story upon story of the Father's faithfulness to those devoted to prayer. You don't need another sermon to motivate you to pray. Here's what you need to understand this morning. Is that many of us, it's not about the length of our prayers, and it's not even about the depth of our prayers. It is simply about being constant to pray. And listen. Listen to, listen to James, the half-brother of Jesus, final words to us this morning. You do not have because you do not ask. One time in prayer is not devoted. One time asking is not enough. You must pray like that nagging cough that you have. You must be like the hound devoted to finding the game that has been killed. You must be like the nagging woman who will not let the judge go until he rules. Be devoted to prayer. Father in heaven, may we reevaluate where our hope is and then relocate our hope from this world to the next. May we see with fresh eyes the great benefit 
that tribulation brings to us so that we might endure tribulations. But endure them without being overcome by them because we understand their intent. And then lastly, Father, we pray exactly what's prayed that you would just incline our hearts to your testimonies incline our hearts to live for you incline our hearts to be more constant and consistent in prayer may we be like the dog who is unrelenting until it's found its prey may we be like the the nagging lady who will not relent until the judge rules. May we be like the cough that does not go away. Because we believe that it is through the means of prayer that your will is accomplished. We don't believe that prayer changes our circumstances. We believe that prayer changes us. And we believe that you are sovereign and all of your purposes will be accomplished in this world. But we know that you accomplish all of those purposes and your sovereign will comes into, uh, comes into be through the prayer of your saints. And so may we join you in this work in the world by devoting ourselves to prayer. And though we may not see our prayers answered in this life, let us not forget that our prayers are stored in heaven. And a prayer we might pray today might not be answered until many years or days or weeks until after our life on this earth is over. But there's no prayer that's prayed that's prayed, that's prayed in vain. And so, so, Father, I ask that you would help us to be more consistent in prayer. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, let's stand. Let's sing a couple of songs this morning. Uh, to kind of root all of this into our hearts. So why don't you stand? You've been sitting for a while.